Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. again it is the 16th of may 2022 Uh, my nephew larry graduated from high school over the weekend congratulations to all of our high school college graduates so proud of you all Um, recognize you're entering a, a season and a time of life when things can be confusing i hope you would join us as we seek to sort through the issues of the day from uh from a gospel worldview, from a redemptive worldview. I'd love to walk with you in this stretch of the journey of your life. Today would have been my brother-in-law's birthday. Um, my husband's only brother, Joe, died in August as a result of complications related to COVID. And um, he is one of the dots on the New York Times aggregated map of what is now a million dots across America, a million a million people. In, Amer- in, in America, a million lives have been lost to COVID. The New York, New York Times has this interactive map up right now. It's a reminder um, of the scope of the, of the challenge, of the density in some places of death. Um, it's also, I think, a huge reminder of just how precious life is and that every life counts, that grief is real, that each one of those dots represents not only an individual, but a family and a community a place of work, a church in some cases. Um, It's a reminder that death comes. So let's let's be gentle toward one another today. Let's, um, not just today, but let's be gentle toward one another. Um, Let's remember those anniversaries in those families where a mother, a father, a sister, a brother, a child, an aunt, an uncle, a cousin, a friend, a colleague, um, a pastor, has been lost. And let's be gently walking with one another. Looking around the world, North Korea has reported 42 deaths and more than 820,000 people with fevers um, since confirming its first COVID case last week. This is important because North Korea um, has refused COVID tests, COVID vaccines, um, other medicines, they have been asserting that they had zero zero COVID cases and had no need for, you know, the world's resources in relationship to it. And so, you know, the, the experts are fearing that North Korea could face the worst death rate in the world um, unless they open themselves up to outside help. A couple of other international headlines before we uh, talk with Jenny Lind Schmidt, who's the European correspondent for World News Group, about what's going on not only in Ukraine but in relationship to Ukraine Let's uh, let's visit this one other international headline. India. India is the second largest wheat producer in the world, and they announced on Saturday that they are halting all wheat exports. So global wheat prices have already increased more than 40 percent since the beginning of 2022. And just two weeks ago, the editorial board of The Washington Post um, 
really raised the alarm about the looming global famine. And we've all learned that Ukraine is the fifth largest wheat producer in the world, but, uh, you know, even a more significant producer of other grains and sunflower oil. And we have we have focused a little bit on that, but we have not uh, focused on the scarcity and the fear of scarcity issues rising around the world. Um, And so India announcing that it is going to halt all wheat exports um, as the second largest wheat producer in the world um, is does not bode well for uh, people in in places where uh, food production does not uh, does not meet the the needs of uh, of the people. Pivoting toward Europe and Ukraine, um, there uh, there are some developments over the weekend you'll be interested to know about. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell led a group of GOP senators to Ukraine. Uh, President Zelensky thanked them for. Uh, the support of the American people and all of the aid we have been rendering. A Ukrainian band, the uh, Kalush Orchestra, won the Eurovision Song Contest, used their spotlight to make a public appeal for people who are besieged in Mariupol. Uh, And McDonald's is selling all of its Russian businesses. It is selling its business in Russia. After more than three three decades in Russia, Um, It served as a potent symbol of the U.S. uh, capitalism, um, but McDonald's is no longer going to be operating in the country of Russia. Um, We're going to talk next with Jenny Lynn Schmidt. She's going to highlight for us the move by Finland and Sweden announcing their bids to join the Western military alliance known as NATO. That's um, That's a big development on the Ukraine front. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Jenny Lynn Schmidt serves as the European correspondent for World News Group. You can read what she's writing at WNG, that stands for World News Group, WNG.org. Jenny, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Hi, Carmen. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. Talk about the big news over the weekend, Finland and Sweden voting to seek NATO membership. Yeah, so this is a huge shift for the NATO alliance and North Atlantic Treaty Organization, which has been around since after World War II and the Cold War. And traditionally, Sweden and Finland um, have had stances of neutrality. Um, But in light of the war in Ukraine and Russia's invasion of Ukraine, they have both done an about face on that. Support for joining NATO in like earlier this year before the war was maybe at 20% in both of those countries. And now it's up to 75, 80% because they see, oh, this could happen to us as well. Finland has a direct border with Russia, 830 miles long. Um, That potentially really changes the uh, the calculus of Russia in relationship to NATO. Yes? Right. Yeah. That would become the longest border between Russia and a NATO country. Um, and so those talks, the, the leaders confirmed over the weekend, the leaders of, of each country, of Finland and of Sweden, 
that they would go be going ahead with talks and then presenting them in their parliaments. They have been presented today. That's under discussion right now and probably will be for the next couple of days before they get complete confirmation. But it's pretty much green-lighted, but NATO has said, we'll welcome you with open arms. Russia, as you might uh, expect, is not very happy about that. Um, Sergei Rupubov, Russia's deputy foreign minister, said just a little while ago that um, that he didn't that this would be a grave mistake with far-reaching consequences. And they're really just trying to threaten uh, Finland and Sweden into into um, reconsidering that that move. However, both those countries, I think they realize that with Russia really tied up in Ukraine right now, with the military tied up there. Um, Russia can threaten things, but militarily, it would be difficult to, to act on that right now. There's some question of whether there will be cyber warfare, and Finland uh, has said that it's been preparing for that possibility. Mm. Talk with us. Um, we haven't we haven't talked uh, recently about the um, the situation with Ukrainian refugees. We were so intensely focused on that, and then you know the numbers grew and grew and grew and uh, upwards of five million. Do you have some up- update or even just observations on the Ukrainian refugee front? Well, it's really an interesting situation. I was talking last week with someone who is a specialist for the European Evangelical Alliance on Refugees. And she said, this is so different from so many other situations because uh, the Ukrainians have not given up on their country. So those who have left the country are really in a very much a state of limbo, wondering, should we start something new here? How integrated should we be? Or when can we go home? I had last week, I believe, the, the mayor of Kiev, Vitaly Klitschko, he said that, um, well, he made the announcement there are, in Kiev, there are roadblocks still up and curfews, but if people are okay with that, that they can come back to Kiev. And, and many people have, I believe it's like two-thirds of the population that left has come back. But he said he doesn't yet recommend it. And if people needed emergency services, they they can't guarantee that that they can get help to them. So I personally know some um, women who have come to this area near where I live, and they are they're considering that, but they know okay, it's not time yet. But when will it be? And I think oh, there's a lot weighing on how the military operations are going, how Ukraine is pushing back Russian forces. So, um, but yeah, so the ones that are here are, are, are somewhat getting integrated, learning French, being part of our church and other churches in the area, but it's still very much a, a process in limbo and how much, as I said, how much to integrate here and, and, and a waiting game to see what happens back home. We're talking with Jenny Lynn Schmidt. Uh, you can follow her on Twitter, J Lind Schmidt. Uh, she is joining us from Switzerland as a correspondent for World Radio and World Magazine. Next up, we're going to talk about birthing Europe's pro-life movement. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Now I'm alive and born again, rescued from the grave of sin. God, 
lots of headlines in the United States and across North America related to abortion and the pro-life movement. Uh, Both sides very, very energized in the conversation. We don't often talk about pro-life Europeans, um, but there are a growing number of them and growing efforts to organize. Jenny Lynn Schmidt is joining us. Uh, You can find what she's writing on the topic at WNG.org. Jenny, tell us about the pro-life movement in Europe um, and and maybe uh, what you what you think it needs and maybe how it's changed um, since the conversations in the United States have changed recently. Yeah, well, the pro-life movement in Europe is growing which is great news, and it's getting younger and younger, which is also great news. Um, There are several movements in different countries across Europe, and I've had the opportunity um, in the past couple of years to connect with some of those people, pro-life leader in Poland, in France, in Austria. And one of the more encouraging things is that there's a growing movement to get outside of each particular country, but to have a lot more cooperation across across different countries. And I will say that um, for Europeans watching from a distance, watching what's going on in the US, what is happening here is a great encouragement. So it doesn't affect just the United States. This this encourages people worldwide. Um, I, I was able to go to the March for Life in Berlin last September and meeting some of the people there talked about the heartbeat bills going, being passed in the US and what an encouragement that was. They take great inspiration and encouragement from the movements in the US. So one woman I talked to recently, she's based in Austria, but uh, an organization called Pro-Life Europe. And it's based, kind of inspired by Students for Life in the US. Um, and so they, um, they've put some organ, they have a lot of resources on their website and they really, the, the, what's interesting is here, I've, I've been back and forth over here for 30 years. And when I first started coming here, abortion was not a topic that people discussed. It's still very taboo, but it was almost like the, the conversation, we had that conversation, it's been decided. And that's what I have heard people, some of the younger people I've talked to, they say they talk to older people in, um, and say, why, why are you bringing up this topic again? We've already decided this. And, and they're saying, well, no, there's new research, there's new information, it's not decided. And so I'm really encouraged that it's actually a conversation that people are open to having with a lot of talk around, okay, we need to protect children, but what about the women who are in this situation? Uh, one of the leaders I spoke to in France, Aliette Espieu, she, uh, she said, you know, everything, the system is set up to help women abort their child. There's nothing uh, in the social system to help mothers to, um, in the government social system, I should say, to help mothers who want to carry their baby to term. And there are a lot of private organizations to do that, but she wants to, to help change that. So, um, yeah, so these organizations, you know, they need a lot of it as volunteer. They're not as well funded as in the U.S. I know one organization, the Pro-Life Europe, they have access to all of live actions videos, but they need and and stuff like that to put on their website. But it all needs translation and mm-hmm. and stuff like, and resources. So, yeah, but there's encouraging stuff going on. Well, I, I love that you bring 
um, a global awareness to an issue that we think of as being, I don't know why, but we think of abortion as being a distinctively American issue. It's just not. I mean, right, this is happening globally. And in fact, abortion is something that the United States has exported to the world in really significant ways through our, um, you know, through our foreign policy uh, and the money attached to USAID. Um, and so it's, it is significant. Like, it's a really important conversation for us to be having. Um, I am noting um, at the bottom of the article at, at World News Group, I am noting um, here that you guys are doing a world, a global uh, journalism institute for Europe, World Journalism Institute Europe this summer. That seems really exciting. And we do have some listeners um, across Europe. So I'm wondering if you want to invite them. Yes, um, this is something, this is the first one in Europe, but World Journalism Institute is, is a training course uh, for, for professionals. This isn't for something right out of university. We do have a World Journalism Institute that is for that, but this is for people that um, are working, maybe have been writing, and they want to learn the tools to how to communicate in a journalistic fashion. And so that is happening this summer, this August in Krakow, Poland. Um, which is, it turns out, is a really interesting place to be these days, given the, given the refugee crisis. And so um, it, yeah, it's a kind of a pivotal place, but that is happening there. And if there are listeners in Europe and they think that that is something they would like to do, I would love to have them um, write to me. Um, there's information that they can find it at WJI Europe at WNG.org. Um, that's the email that they can they can write to me and I will um, send them the information on how to apply. But yeah, we really want to increase and improve our coverage from Europe. And so that is what um, what it, that what's about. And I'll tell you that email address again. It's WJIEurope at WNG.org. All right. If you uh, want that and you didn't get it, you can text me at 877-933-2484, and I will put you directly in touch uh, with Jenny Lind Schmidt. Um, I, I just, I was excited by that, and I'm encouraged by that. I would love to see the um, the strengthening of journalists who want to approach things from a gospel worldview, and you're certainly equipping people to do that. So I just, um, I wanted to highlight that today as well. Yeah, um, what you. What do you, what do you make, uh, briefly here, what do you make um, of the French election or re-election of Emmanuel Macron? Well, earlier this year, um, I really thought there were a couple of candidates that would have had a, had a good shot at unseating Macron. There was so much discontent with how he handled the pandemic. And then before that, there were protests, the Yellow Vest protests, if we can reach way back in our memories a couple of years before the pandemic. But the war changed that. Um, the uh, Marine Le Pen, who, is the, who ended up being the, the main candidate um, against him, she was really for a, a less of a European integration. She wants to pull out France's um, commitments, some of their commitments to NATO. And I think for so many French that just with the war in Ukraine on the European continent, that really shocked people and they were not willing to go there. However, that she did get a, a large percentage of the population and that, or Marine Le Pen did. And so I think it really highlights the, the divisiveness in French society. And that's something 
that you know we see that in many countries around around the world but um yeah that's something ongoing she had said before the election that this would be her last her last run but that may not be the case Macron for his part I think a lot of people were were not super you know unhappy we're always unhappy with whoever the camera or whoever is in in charge at the time but I think most people overall think he handled things pretty well in the pandemic and he's got a very pro-European stance and that just seems really like a good idea that seems very safe right now. Mm. So uh, it's so helpful. Yeah it's just a helpful insight thank you so much. All right Jenny Lynn Schmidt is a European correspondent for World News Group. You can find what she's writing lots of great insights wng.org. Jenny Lind, um, we'll be praying for you. Thank you so much for joining us, as always, today on Mornings with Carmen. We we really appreciate your perspective. Thank you so much, Carmen. I'll talk to you Absolutely. That would be great. You too. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. I want you to consider what happened in your own community over the weekend. I want you to consider what happened in cities across the country. We talked about um, shootings across the U.S. earlier today. We didn't talk about tens of thousands of abortion rights advocates and pro-life counter demonstrators rallying across the country um, in Washington, D.C., New York, Pittsburgh, L.A., Nashville, Lubbock, Texas, on and on and on. Um. Blue lights and sirens. That's what I want you to just think about for just a moment. Blue lights and sirens. I want you to think about police officers for just a moment. What do you, uh, what, what's the emotion that rises up within you when you see blue lights or hear sirens? Police officers have, many of them, wives at home, families at home. And what they feel when they see blue lights and hear sirens, is um, particularly acute these days. This is National Police Week. We're going to get equipped by talking next with proud police wife, Rebecca Lynn. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. I will trust. Joining us now, Rebecca Lynn. You can find resources uh, about this National Police Week and how to support police officers in your own community at ProudPoliceWife.com. Rebecca, thank you for joining us this morning on Mornings with Carmen. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So National Police Week. I don't think National Police Week gets a whole lot of press. Uh, Pride Month gets a lot of press. Uh, Lots of other things get a lot of press. I'm not sure National Police Week gets a lot of press. So what is it? Why do we need it? And how can we observe it? Absolutely. Great questions. And I wholeheartedly agree. 
Um, I don't feel like it gets enough attention as it should. And National Police Week was actually started um, back in 1962. JFK designated actually May 15th yesterday as um, Peace Officers Memorial Day, which is a day to honor those we lost in the line of duty and disabled, um, who were disabled in the line of duty. And so now we designate the week surrounding May 15th as uh, National Police Week. And it's just a time to really honor those that um, we lost in the line of duty. And then also their names are, are added to the National Law Enforcement Memorial in Washington, D.C. And so um, we also give time for during this time for support for those family members, those departments and loved ones that um, lost their brother or sister in law enforcement. And we say brother and sister as, um, you know, law enforcement families are just form a really close bond. And so whether they were truly their brothers or sisters or not, um, you know, friends, they just become family. And so this is a time to honor them. And there are events that happen during National Police Week in D.C., like a candlelight vigil was on May 13th. Um, again, names are added to the wall. Um, there are many, you know, walks and bike rides that come into D.C., but people can observe it all throughout the United States, wherever you are. There's usually many local events going on. Um, but honestly, the biggest thing that I, you know, can say is to just pray, pray for these families, um, pray for these departments and the friends of these police officers that we've lost, because truly what uh, these families want is for their hero to be remembered and their face to be remembered and their name to be remembered and to just honor them. Mm. That's so good. Um, so when we think about police officers and we think about um, the, the particular challenges that law enforcement officers face, um, I want to talk a little bit about that just as well. But let's um, let's focus in on police widows uh, or spouses and families of the fallen. Uh, you know, are there particular recommendations you might have for us, Rebecca, what we might do in our own community, um, you know, for to reach out, to reestablish contact, um, things churches might do? Can you give us some ideas? Absolutely. And first, I'll start with I actually just had a police widow do um, a guest piece on the blog because obviously I'm not a police widow. So I wanted to go to someone that has this experience who's vocal in our community. And so she actually wrote a blog post on my website, proudpolicewife.com, about ways that we can support law enforcement families in need. And so her husband died tragically a few years ago. So she was very open about sharing what it was that her and her boys really needed during that time. So as, you know, um, churches or supporters, um, you know, it's, we all want to help in some way, but it can be hard during this time. We don't know exactly what to say or what to do. Um, so she recommended one just reaching out to them and asking what they need. It seems so um, simple, like you don't want to bug someone, but reaching out and seeing what they need as a church, a meal train is incredibly helpful because the last thing that um, she said they wanted to do was kind of make meals to even, you know, think about what she was going to eat felt um, like a chore. And so um, the other thing is, is these families need support, not just when a tragedy occurs, but long after. So she felt like they had a lot of support, um, you know, immediately after, but 
continually checking in with these families, praying over them, asking what they need, um, you know, seeing what type of resources they need. So just being open to um, communicating with them. The other thing is, is that I kind of mentioned earlier is these families want their loved one remembered and honored. So don't be afraid to say their name um, and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, say that you're praying over them or you're um, thinking of their family or you're remembering their loved one with their specific name. It's not taboo to say their name anymore because they still remember them. They still um, are, you know, that person is still a part of their life in some way. And so um, it's not taboo to still talk about that person, um, you know, after things have settled a little bit. Um, But really kind of finding, especially at a church, finding like a liaison that can communicate with the family um, and not having a hundred people reach out, but maybe one or two that can help organize things for them. Um, The biggest thing too, is it's very hard for them to make decisions immediately after something has happened. So offering to make those decisions for them, you know, when it got, when it comes down to, you know, childcare or mm. meals or missed work, things like that, just offering to make those um, commitments so that it takes a little bit off of their plate. Yeah. One of the things, um, you know, if you have accumulated uh, PTO in your job and you have a police widow who, um, you know, needs some additional time uh, yes. You can, you know, you can give them the gift of some, some paid time off. And, you know, yes. I, that's something that, you know, that's not just a, a one-off like the, on the anniversary of, uh, yes. of the death of their spouse or, you know, particular times when they really need to be freed up to do things with or for their kids. Like, it, it's just one of those things. I think that's a way that we can show our, um, our support in a real tan, in a very tangible way. It's hard yes. for me to, uh, to give someone anything more significant than time to do what they need to do or be with the people they need to be with. Um, And so uh, that's just an idea uh, for folks listening as well. We're talking with Rebecca Lynn. She's a police wife. Um, She is the author of Proud Police Wife and the host of the website by the same name, proudpolicewife.com. Um, Rebecca, when um, when we think about the challenges, again, that uh, law enforcement officers are facing, I, I just think, you know, gosh, every every video you see. Right. I mean, the, the storyline is one thing, but around the periphery of the storyline, whether or not it's protests or shootings or lootings or mental illness or drugs or family violence or vehicle accidents or, you know, on and on and on. There are police officers somewhere in the scope of that picture. Um, yes. And so. um what can we do to serve those who serve us? And that's a great question. And honestly, it's, again, it seems so simple, but one is say thank you to them. If you see them out in public, if they go to your church, if you, um, you know, happen to see one at a grocery store, or maybe they're working some sort of event, um, say thank you to them. It's okay to go up to them and talk with them. They police officers, Officers want to be part of the community, build the community, and they don't always want to be working the tragedies. It's okay to go up and speak with them and just say thank you to them because they don't hear it very much anymore. And um, I I can guarantee you that it, it may not be every police officer you come into contact with, but many 
hearing those words, thank you, will carry them to their next shift or carry them, those simple words will carry them until they get home with their families. Because it is, some days are very trying for them. And we have to remember that they see more trauma on a regular basis than the average citizen does. And that takes a toll. And so knowing that they're appreciated can make the world of difference. Mm. Um, when we come back, I'm going to I'm going to ask you to um, maybe just role play with us for a moment. I know what to do when the blue lights go on behind me and I'm driving. You know, I know to pull over safely. I know to put my hat, put my car in park, put my hazards on, roll down my windows, turn on my interior lights and put my hands visibly at the top of my steering wheel and not move like I got that. I don't necessarily know. Um, you know, are there some similar things to do when I'm approaching a police officer physically in public. So I'm going to ask you that question when we come back. Like, where should my hands be? We're talking with Rebecca Lynn from ProudPoliceWife.com. We'll be right back. Rebecca Lynn is a police wife. Uh, She is the host of ProudPoliceWife.com. She has a book by the same title. Um, So I'm wondering, Rebecca, as I approach uh, a police officer in a public setting, um, I want to, uh, I I don't want him to be afraid of me, which I know sounds crazy, but I I want to um, remove any uh, fear or anxiety that he might have about a person approaching him. So where should my hands be? Or where should they not be? Honestly, um, you want to keep just everything visible. So, you, you know, just hands out. It's that simple. I wouldn't have them like, you know, in my jacket pockets mm-hmm. that, you know, could be perceived the wrong way. Um, just keep everything visible. Um, and honestly, a lot of times, like when my husband's been approached or I've seen other police officers approached, many people are just kind of have their hand up like they want to shake the police officer's hand. Um, so many times people will come up, whether my husband's at a restaurant or um, sometimes they do, um, you know, the uh, shop with a cop during Christmas time, those places, like you can just walk up and shake their hand and say, thank you for what you do. Um, And a police officer is going to be, you know, so appreciative of that and feel comfortable um, just so just everything visible. Okay. And then if there is a, a, a law enforcement officer who's, you know, parked in a parking lot, I mean, not, not off the side of the road, like he's, you know, watching for speeders, but can I, can I drive up and roll down my window and say something or does that perceived as maybe not particularly welcome? No, I think that's okay. I've done that before. (laughs) Um, So I I think it's totally fine. Um, So obviously, you know, assess the situation. Like you said, if they seem to be working or in the middle of something, no. But if they're, you know, possibly there um, just um, for a different reason, then I think it's totally fine. One thing that you can do, there's a website called Humanize the Badge, and they actually have cards that um, it just says, Dear Officer, um, I think it says, We Appreciate You. And they're little cards that you can hand out. And that's what I do. So it doesn't appear, you know, that I'm not just like, rolling my window down for nothing, but I will hand them one of the cards and just say, I want to let you know, I'm thinking of you. I'm praying for you. And I hand them oh. one of the cards. Oh, see, I love that little, we need, yeah. I see this silent majority. We need you cards. Yes. Um, that's what it is. Yes. Oh yes. no, it's so good. Okay. So that's at humanizing the badge.com. Yes. See, this is dot what com. we need. We need help knowing where to look and get the stuff yes. and 
You could make your own card if you wanted to, and you're listening right now. I love that idea. Um, We have uh, in the community where I live a new um, four-footed police officer, and uh, he has recently joined the force, um, you know, and he was born, you know, he was born in Hungary, right? So I, we did a little thing in our community, um, like, uh, it just, <laughs> I mean, you know, like uh, an awareness of how to greet that particular officer because he doesn't speak English. I recognize he's also a canine, but right, just anything where you can, you can literally humanize what's happening um, in your local police department and on the police force. Right. Absolutely. And honestly, um, if you have kids with you, kids are a great way to approach law enforcement in a, you know, friendly way. So a lot of times, um, you know, my, I have three kids and my youngest is five. And so he is enamored with his father and loves everything about law enforcement. But even when we're out in public, he's like, mommy, it's a police officer. So if it's a, you know, seems like a good situation, we'll walk over and I'll just say, my son really wanted to say hi to you today. And thank you Mm -hmm. for what you're doing. And so kids are a great way to kind of segue into that as well, because they, police officers love that community involvement and getting to know people and seeing the smile of kids' faces. Um, And they will let them, you know, ask questions about their, what they're wearing. If, you know, a lot of times they have questions, there's so much stuff around their duty belt um, and kids are curious. And so they'll be, you know, um, honest in kid-friendly terms about what they're wearing. Um, and they welcome those questions. So uh, Luke has texted in on the text line and he says, hey, um, uh, police officers are women too. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for that important thank reminder. And in, in fact, locally where I live, um, the only police officer who I know by name is Tiffany, uh, who... Um, yeah. Um, and I know that because she's the next door neighbor of one of our kids. So, uh, yes. Thank you, Luke, so much for that reminder. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's super helpful. All right. Uh, Kathy has texted in. I walked up to a police officer um, and, um, and and I was sure they could see me the entire time. I think driving up to a police car would be a little bit dangerous. Officers can't see what's inside your car. Yeah, that was my question. Like, right, there might be some... You know, they might be hesitant related to that. Again, I think keeping everything visible um, and, you know, approaching with a smile on your face, looking them in the eye. Um, I think all of those are really, really good. I never um, it's interesting that you you say, um, you know, people want to shake their hand. I um, I never it's never occurred to me to reach out my hand for an officer um, because I just kind of recognize they need to have their hands to do things that are their job sometimes. And right, I don't know, right. see, I've been hesitant to do that because, but, but you've given me um, encouragement and freedom and I'm definitely going to m- make some of my own, probably humanizing the badge, you know, use the inspiration yeah. at humanizing yeah. the badge and make some um, cards. What about, you know, buying coffee, paying for a meal, yes. like those kinds of things. All good. Absolutely. All good. It is so appreciated. Um, they won't take, Generally, they won't, like, if you buy it to them and hand it to them, they won't take food from a stranger for obvious reasons. Or um, cash. You can't hand them yeah. cash. Oh, don't no. do that. No, no, no. You can't do that. <laughs> um, but gift cards are good. Even, like, a $5 coffee gift card is fine. Um, but if you're in a restaurant and you, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll see that a police officer is behind me in a drive through and I'll just tell them, hey, I'd like to pay for the person behind me. And so I'll pay for their, you know, coffee or their meal, or if you're in a restaurant, picking up their tab um, is incredibly appreciated. But even like if you wanted to take things to a department, usually they 
stay away from like homemade things just out of safety reasons. Um, but yes, you can definitely buy something for them if you happen to see them, you know, out. That's so good. That's so good. Hey, we appreciate your being here today. Um, can we pray for you and for your family uh, on behalf of all police officers this week? Thank you so much. Yes. Father, thank you for Rebecca. Um, thank you for um her police spouse. Thank you for their children. Thank you for the family of police officers, the men and women in uniform, um, law enforcement officers of every variety. Father, protect them today. Place a divine hedge of protection around each one of them. Encourage them in their work. Um, give them not only courage, but sweetness and light as they, um, as they protect us. Um, Guide and direct them, supply for their needs, and bless their families. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you so much. Again, you guys can find um, Rebecca online and lots of great resources, proudpolicewife.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. would like to uh, conclude today with an NBA headline that you probably haven't read. Do you know who um, Steph Curry is? Um, So, I I mean, I know who Steph Curry is, but do you know who Steph Curry is? So you may know him um, as an NBA star, but he graduated this weekend from Davidson College in North Carolina, um, completing his degree 16 years after he set foot on campus as a uh, scrawny teenager. Uh, That's how it's described by Axios Sports. Um, So Davidson uh, College only only retires jerseys of players after they've graduated, and they make no exceptions to that. So so they have now finally recognized their most famous son. Um, They have plans to hang his jersey in the rafters later this year. Um, because he finally graduated. He received a BA, a major in sociology. He is uh, a member of the class of 2022, even though he entered um, 16 years ago. So um, I think that's that's wonderful. Um, He was a sophomore in 2008 when he put Davidson on the map uh, in terms of NCAA basketball across the country, and he turned pro the following year. Um, and he promised his parents and his coach at that time that one day he would be back to finish his degree. And so that has now happened. I just think that that's great, and I like the perseverance. I like the commitment um, to follow through on something that you have committed to achieve. Um, And I just want to recognize that, uh, you know, students out there who, you know, maybe you've taken a gap in your education for one reason or another, It's never too late. It's never too late to complete the degree that you started, and it's never too late to start the degree that you've always dreamed about. Um, So let me encourage you to to consider that as we move into these summer months. I know that there are some free courses being offered by Hillsdale College. If you wanted to go online and take some free free courses to, you know, sort of brush up academically as a maybe a re-entry point. Um, Take advantage of the good things that God offers through all kinds of resources across the country and around the world. Have a great day and God bless.
Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.